What's going on, Football MD fam? Welcome back to another episode of the Football MD podcast. Today is Monday, July 6th. The year is 2018, in case you were wondering. I am your host, Michael Bowling, joined as always by the lovely Daniel Ronan. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Football MD Podcast. We thank you for joining us and hope you continue to do so. Over the last five weeks, we have covered 12 quarterbacks, 24 running backs, 30 wide receivers, and today we are going to be ending our rankings episodes with our top 10 tight ends. We're also going to add in some sleeper picks at the position for you guys, and we're going to end the episode by breaking down another NFL division. Today is going to be the AFC North. All right, guys, so we'll just jump right into our tight end rankings, 1 through 10. Before we really get started, I just want to say, Mike and I are obviously both big fans of waiting on this position, not drafting too early, trying to reach. So that's why we'll only be ranking 10, because we definitely feel it's a position that streaming is definitely an option, and we understand why you might want to go get a top-tier guy, but definitely don't reach, because really, running back, wide receiver, much more important. You're going to have injuries at those positions, and they're going to be hard to recover from. So definitely, this is something that you want to focus in in the later rounds. Yeah, all of the tight ends outside of the top three at the position, really, there's a huge drop-off after that first group of guys. In fact, the difference from the top three running backs to the next 10 running backs last season was about 10 points per game. Meanwhile, the difference between the top three tight ends and the next 10 tight ends in points per game was only four points per game. So even by taking one of these higher upside guys, what you're really paying for is that week-to-week consistency. And that leads us right to our first guy, Rob Gronkowski. There he is. Rob Gronkowski had over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns, and only 14 games last season. He has four number one finishes at the position since 2011, and three out of the last four years he's been number one at the position. So you know that when he is healthy, he's not seeing any less than six or seven targets per game, and he really is a step above all the other options at the position. He is going a little bit earlier than I would normally like to take a tight end. He's currently going right around the second round, but anywhere if he happens to fall to me in the mid to late third rounds, that's when I would really consider taking him. And you also have to factor in the risk that he's not going to play a full season for you. He's missed five games in four out of the last eight seasons. So although he is great for you when he's healthy, you're going to have to have a backup tight end ready to go to stream during those weeks that Gronk is not going to be available for you. And that's a lot of equity to put in a player that I'm going to have to have a backup plan for. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, though. It's totally worth it. He's the one player where at the position, he gives you consistent performances that will win you your week. Obviously, in the beginning of the season, that'll give you a shot at the playoffs. And if he's there for the playoffs, that'll put you in the championship. So the high equity may be worth it. Um, Well, yeah, if he plays all 16 games, it's basically like a cheat code, unfair advantage at the position. He's that in my opinion, that much of a step above. More than likely he won't. He's adamant about the fact that he'll just never play unless he's fully healthy, which I commend him for because rather than like risking his body or whatever, he's smart about it. He understands that, you know, this is a life decision. He's got to be smart about it. So nothing against him, but it is for fantasy sakes, you have to be conscious of it. And like you said, it's a lot of equity for somebody who more than likely will not give you the whole season. That being said, That'll move us on to our number two guy, the only guy that I would feel personally comfortable drafting early at the tight end position, and that's Zach Ertz. And the reason why I feel that way is because he's 
pretty much Mr. Consistency at the position. He might not give you those boom weeks that Rob Gronkowski offers you that'll win you your week, but he's very consistent. He'll score a moderate amount of touchdowns every season. You can set him and forget him. You'll just need to replace him on his bye week. And after that, you'll get consistent production from the tight end position. Yeah, and Carson Wentz loves throwing to him. Last season, he saw 110 targets. And actually, over the last three seasons, he has more receptions than Rob Gronkowski. So you know he's going to be incredibly involved in that offense. He's usually Carson Wentz's first read. However, there was only one game last season where Zach Ertz eclipsed 100 yards. And I do think that those high touchdown rates helped carry him through a bit which you'll hear me talk about touchdown regress- regression for pass-catching options very frequently. He went from four touchdowns in 2016 to eight touchdowns in 2017. Now, I do think Zach Ertz is a great player that can keep those numbers consistently right around that eight-touchdown range, but you've heard me say it on the quarterbacks episode and on the wide receiver episode talking about Alshon Jeffrey. I am expecting Wentz's touchdowns to regress quite a bit in 2018, so Although you may see that reflected in Zach Ertz's touchdown column as well, I think he's still going to be super consistent. Of course, this is another guy going right in the third or fourth rounds, so any type of cautions like that have to be brought up when you're going to be putting that type of equity into a pick. Moving on to our third player, we have Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey. Kelsey has been the primary pass catcher on the Chiefs over the last two seasons with 80-plus receptions in both of those years. The main reason why I have Kelsey behind Ertz and Rob Gronkowski is because of the uncertainty on his team. I think Ertz and Gronk, they both have very solidified roles. There's a lot of change going on in Kansas City right now. We don't know who Mahomes is going to click with. I'm personally projecting him to be quite a bit of a downgrade from Alex Smith's MVP caliber season last year. They brought in Sammy Watkins, who could definitely be a red zone threat, as we saw last season. And I think that may cut into Travis Kelsey's upside a little bit. But like I said, he's going to be right around 80 or more receptions, which makes him super safe at the tight end position. And the same thing that I said for Ertz about touchdown regression, I think is also possible for Travis Kelsey in 2018. Over the last three years, Kelsey has had five, five, and four touchdowns in 2016 before last season where he tied Zach Ertz with eight touchdowns. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw his touchdown numbers go down a little bit, but I'm still expecting him to be the primary pass-catching option on that team. Yeah, and just to piggyback off of what you said a little bit, I definitely agree. And to go a little bit further, not only is the change usually with a younger quarterback, you would think that they would rely on the tight end. But in this specific scenario... Patrick Mahomes, they're expecting to be a slight upgrade at the position. Now, like you said, Alex Smith was great last year, MVP form. So for him to be an upgrade this year is hard to agree with. But obviously, they traded away Alex Smith for a reason. Yeah, they trust the guy. And Mahomes being able to throw 80 yards, that doesn't usually bode well for the tight end position. That bodes more well for the guys that can stretch the field, like Tariq Hill. So I just don't know if he'll be relying on that position. Of course, like you said, he's an elite talent in the NFL. He should demand the targets because he is a playmaker. And, in fact, according to Pro Football Focus, he made more defenders miss on tackle attempts than any other tight end in the league last year, including Gronk, including Ertz. He is very shifty. He's very athletic for a tight end, for a guy that his size. 
and he can make you miss, and he can make plays. Definitely an elite-level talent, but I definitely agree with the the change that's going on there being a little nerve-wracking for somebody you're investing a lot in. Yeah, again, we haven't met three at the position, so we're not down on this guy at all. It's just he's right outside that Gronk-Ertz territory just for the security on that offense. Moving on to number four in our consensus rankings will be Greg Olson. I mean, what does there really say about Greg Olson? He's been doing it for a very long time. He's as consistent as it gets. He is and will continue to be the primary pass catcher in that offense. It just works well with Cam Newton. Cam Newton obviously extending the play, scrambling outside the pocket, finding a close target, a reliable guy that he has a lot of camaraderie with. You know, a lot goes into these scramble plays. People don't always understand. When teams have a mobile quarterback as they as Cam Newton, they don't just let him scramble willy-nilly. They actually prepare for the scramble. And what that means is they get their wide receivers in sync with their quarterback so that when they know, all right, Cam is booting right. He's going to the right-hand side. I need to pull my route back closer to him so I can attack the ball at the highest position. It's not always as simple as it looks. That's why I think Greg Olson continues to dominate in that offense being the number one pass catcher in that offense, even though they bring in DJ Moore, obviously Devin Funches and Christian McCaffrey trending up. No doubt there's definitely a little bit more competition for opportunity in that offense right now, but still he should dominate the opportunity in that offense. As you said, Greg Olson has been one of the most consistent options at the position. Before last season, he has nine straight years finishing in the top 10 at the tight end position and three straight years of over 1,000 yards, again before last season, which... We know he missed time due to that foot injury. While he was healthy last season, he had a catch rate of only 44.7%, which is much lower than his career catch rate of 65%. So I am expecting that to normalize a little bit. I'm expecting his receptions to go up. However, I do have some mild concerns about Olsen's involvement with Christian McCaffrey on that team now. We've never seen Cam Newton target running backs very heavily throughout his career. In fact, over the last few seasons, he's had 71, 50, 37, and 63 targets to the running back position. Last year, with Christian McCaffrey on the team, Cam Newton targeted running backs 135 times. That's a huge jump from his recent numbers, and maybe McCaffrey was only used so much because Greg Olson was out with injury, so that's definitely something to monitor as the season approaches. And also that foot injury that I mentioned before that kept Greg Olson out of games last season, That foot injury normally requires a second surgery. We've seen it a bunch of times. So that's another thing to be a little bit cautious on. But if he is able to remain healthy, he should be extremely consistent. Now, moving on to our fifth tight end, we have Delaney Walker of the Tennessee Titans. I personally don't think Walker gets enough love. He's been in the top 11 at the position in each of the last five seasons that he's been with the Titans, including two top five finishes. He's really like the Demarius Thomas of wide receivers. He doesn't provide you with huge upside, but he is extremely consistent. Last season, he only had three touchdowns, but he still had 111 targets, 74 receptions. So you know he's not reliant on those touchdown numbers. But in 2016, Delaney Walker had seven touchdowns. So we do know that that upside is there. And as mentioned before, I'm not worried about him receiving lower touchdown numbers because we saw that last season and he was still very relevant for fantasy purposes. 
Also last season, Marcus Mariota's touchdowns dropped from 26 touchdowns in 2016 to only 13 last season. So I'm definitely expecting those touchdown numbers to go up in 2018. And of course, Delaney Walker has been one of his favorite targets. So hopefully a lot of those will go to the tight end that we have at number five. Yeah, Delaney Walker is actually one of my favorite tight ends. He actually has a, in 2015, a 90 catch uh, over a thousand yards with over five touchdown season. So he can give you that top level upside. He's obviously been doing it for a long, long time, long time with San Fran. And now obviously with the Titans, if I had to make an argument against him though, it would also be that he's kind of getting up there in years. He's 34 going and, into the season. And not only that, but they have Supernaw, who is not eye popping appealing, but he's a solid blocking tight end. And they also have Jonu Smith, who they're very high on there. They think he will basically be getting the torch after Delaney Walker leaves. And he's a very athletic pass-catching tight end. So if there's any argument against him, I would just say I'd be wary of, obviously, his age and the combination of young talent behind him. Sometimes that can force you to lose some opportunity and roles in the offense. Obviously, they have to plan for going forward and eventually realistically just like all the Patriots drama with Tom Brady and not going to be there or this when a long consistent standing part of a franchise is coming to the end of the career it's a real concern and you have to address it and they have to be prepared when Delaney Walker leaves and they're not getting 60 to 70 catches with 800 plus yards and about five touchdowns a year once that's gone John New Smith is the guy who they're expecting to do that for them and he is already on the roster and has been waiting so with his age obviously getting up there he could lose opportunities Smith is definitely someone to keep on your radar especially in dynasty leagues but god forbid if something were to happen to Delaney Walker this season uh, Smith could be walking into a nice role and not just the young talented pass catchers behind him at the tight end position but he also has Corey Davis coming into his second year Taewon Taylor coming into his third year who should just see increased opportunities and as I said I'm expecting Marcus Mariota to improve off of last season's performance. So those two wide receivers should be beneficiaries of that as well. But anytime you can get 800 plus yards and potential five touchdowns out of a tight end, you can't not have them in top five consideration. Oh, absolutely. He's been super, super productive. And we don't want to get away from that. Obviously, that's the main point. That's why we have him at five. But he is somebody that we would keep an eye on as far as there is that little bit of concern with his opportunity this season. So we'll move right on to number six. We got Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is one of my personal favorite tight ends this year. He's going in that sweet spot around round eight, I believe. And I kind of like that. It's not too early, not too late. But you get a guy that, in my opinion, is going to give you huge upside in the red zone this year with Aaron Rodgers. He's predominantly, you know, a throw it up kind of guy and he can go up and snag the ball. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, will take advantage of that. Now, he's a calculated passer, Aaron Rodgers, but no doubt he'll still give Jimmy Graham the opportunities. I also think Jimmy Graham is athletic enough where he's not going to just be playing the tight end position. They'll line him up outside. They'll put him all over the formation. It'll be a good situation for him. He'll he'll go from Russell Wilson to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, a little bit of a better passer. They're both elite quarterbacks, but Aaron Rodgers, no doubt about it. He throws more touchdown passes. He led the league in touchdown passes two years ago in 2016, before last year's injury. He was on pace last year to be in MVP form again. So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know, obviously gives Jimmy Graham a huge boost in opportunity. 
And obviously the skill set there, I just really like, not to mention Jordy Nelson gone. And they don't really know who's going to be that number two pass catcher there. And I think it could easily be Jamie Graham. Yeah, I'm actually pretty nervous about Graham going into 2018. And I want to love him going into this season, moving to an Aaron Rodgers-led offense. Jimmy Graham had 10 touchdowns last season. He's great around the goal line. So you would expect if Rodgers is going to be throwing 30 plus touchdowns, as he normally does, some of those are going to have to go to Jimmy Graham. But I do think that he's going to be pretty inconsistent if he doesn't get you those touchdowns. And even though his end of the season stat line, he's most likely going to finish in the top eight at the position. But it might not feel that way on a weekly basis if he's not getting you those touchdowns. And just some signs of decline that we've seen in Jimmy Graham over the past few years. Last season, he didn't have any games with over 70 receiving yards. And he dropped from 57 yards per game down to 32.5 yards per game, which is his lowest yards per game since his rookie season. I really just think he's getting up there in age. His body's breaking down. He literally lost his knee a few seasons ago. So just the fact that he overcame that massive knee injury is very impressive. And the fact that he's still playing at a pretty high level really is amazing. Not a lot of people come back from that injury, but I do think that it is going to start to take its toll. And even when he moved to Seattle, he took a little bit of time to start meshing with Russell Wilson. He wasn't great in Seattle his first season, so I wouldn't be surprised if him and Aaron Rodgers get off to a slow start, at least for the early part of the season, if not the entire season. So that's my only concerns with Jimmy Graham. But moving on to our number seven tight end, we have Evan Ingram from the New York Giants. Ingram was the tight end for last season, taking his 115 targets for 722 yards and six touchdowns. However, going into 2018, I think it's fair to expect a lot of regression in his targets with the return of Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, so that he can be a very capable pass-catching option last season, and Saquon Barkley, who I don't think you take a guy second overall if you don't want him to be running and catching the ball for your team. Also, the new head coach, Pat Shermer, went with the Vikings last year, targeted the tight end position 8% less than the Giants did in 2017. However, the silver lining here for Evan Ingram is that he had a very poor catch percentage in 2017, to say the least. His catch percentage was 55.7%, which was the lowest of all six tight ends to see over 100 targets last year. The next lowest in that area was Rob Gronkowski, who had a 65.7% catch rate. So he was 10% lower than the next lowest guy in that category. So although I am expecting his targets to go down, I do expect Evan Ingram to improve as a player. I expect that offense to improve overall. So even though his opportunity may go down, his efficiency and his productivity with his opportunity, I think will go up, keeping him right around that same stat line that he had last season. Honestly, I love Evan Ingram from a talent perspective, but from a fantasy perspective, it's really hard for me to get on board with him this year. I had him on my radar last year after the Odell Beckham Jr. injury. Let's be real. He's essentially a wide receiver who just lines up at yep. tight end. You know what I mean? He's like, what, 210 and runs 4-4 speed at 6-3? I mean, he's, he's like a wide receiver, you know? So I don't know how that happened where he just got labeled as a tight end and fooled everybody but he's essentially a wide receiver at the at that position so he does have unique ability for that position as far as he's athletic he can move he can run routes he can cut he can do things that other guys at this position can't do which obviously makes him an intriguing talent but like you said Odell Beckham is gonna demand a high level of targets I expect a lot of that offense to run through Saquon Barkley not just because of 
the second overall pick, Saquon Barkley, you invest a lot into him, obviously want to use him, but also because it benefits the whole team and the fact that the Giants are their best selves when they have Eli Manning in the building. And with Saquon Barkley carrying a lot of the load, you pretty much extend Eli's career at least two or three seasons. So they're definitely going to be leaning on him. I just don't know where the opportunity is going to come for Evan Ingram. I get that Eli has, throughout history, really liked the tight end position, especially when it comes to touchdowns. But I just don't see how he's going to warrant those targets behind Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, one thing that I did find kind of interesting is I know it's a small sample size. Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt fairly early on in the season. I think it was week four or five. But Evan Ingram was only seeing about half a target less when Beckham was on the field. So like I said, it's a small sample size. Beckham wasn't there for a majority of the season. But we did see him be involved with their star wide receiver still on the field. As a fully passing team with not a good offensive line, and no running back. Paul Perkins was their starting running back going into last year. So now this year, while they have you know a run game where they're going to be projecting running 20 times a game. Last year, they were lucky if they ran 10 times a game. You know what I'm saying? So now they're going to be projecting higher run totals for that, which means less clock because running chews up the clock, which means less opportunity, which means less total plays in the game. And less of them are going to be able to go to him because more of them are going to have to go to Odell Beckham Jr. and Saquon Barkley. In my opinion, I could be wrong, but I just don't see the production there for him this year. I think he's a 500-yard, maybe five-touchdown kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? I just, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's going to give you double-digit touchdowns. And he's not going to give you the yards total this year. Even though I am projecting him to progress as a player overall, as Dan mentioned, the opportunity is going to be tough to find in 2018. And Evan Ingram, I've seen him go in the fifth round of fantasy drafts. So although I do see a silver lining for him, I do see a situation where he does end as a potential top five tight end. He's not someone with those risks on that offense that I'm willing to put a fifth round draft equity into. Moving on to number eight at the tight end position is Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph is a consistent tight end. He offers you obviously not a huge week-to-week output, but from a consistency standpoint, he will deliver a very average stat line, but something that for a tight end position that doesn't get a lot of production from the bottom end guys, it could be very appealing to not have to worry about the position for the entire season and that's pretty much what he offers you obviously he's in a strong offense with a lot of pass catchers and a strong run game so it's going to be difficult to find those targets for him just as we talked about Evan Ingram but he is also a stable there he's been there for a long time he's not going into his second year like Evan Ingram he's always been worked into there and always been consistently productive he can score inside the red zone I just don't know if they're going to need him to do that with the obviously Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs but the skill set is there the upside is there it's just going to be another question about the opportunity I just don't think you know Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are good they're not Odell Beckham Jr. good so I don't think they're going to demand targets the way OBJ demands targets. And I think that's something that I need to really clarify and just real quick. Guys of Odell Beckham Jr. skill set, they demand targets. I say that because as a business asset, when you allocate certain amount of funds to that asset, you need to be leaning on that asset and using it. It's a business decision at that point. And there's going to be pressure from ownership and, and higher ups to use that asset that they're funneling money for. That being said, 
Odell Beckham Jr. hasn't really been paid yet, but he's just an example of that skill set. Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, the top tier guys. You got you want to get those guys the ball. Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs are good, but they don't demand targets the way those top level guys do. They're just more of in a strong offense. They're being found. You get what I'm saying? Like the quarterback is making the decision to go to them, not being forced to throw to them. And that's where I feel the opportunity for Rudolph could be there for him as opposed to being there for Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is not high on the pecking order as opposed to there's kind of is no pecking order in Minnesota the way I see the offense because there is no one dominant player. When you have a dominant player like you have OBJ or Saquon Barkley, they're going to demand the target share. So if I didn't lose you in that little bit of a rant, that's kind of why sometimes opportunity really affects some players and doesn't affect others. It's kind of the way the scheme works within the offense. I don't think Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are the same caliber of pass catching option that Odell Beckham Jr. is. But you can't deny that Rudolph clearly has some competition for targets. The good news is we've seen him produce with those guys before. He's finished as the tight end two in 2016. He was the tight end seven last season. And alluding to that consistency that you mentioned before, he's played all 16 games over the last three seasons. That's not something that's super common at the tight end position. It's a very physical position, especially when you're a red zone threat like Kyle Rudolph. He's going right up there against other guys to bring down passes in tight areas. That's one of my main concerns with Rudolph going into this season. I love that he has Kirk Cousins now. We've seen the success that he's had at targeting the tight end position, but whenever someone bases their fantasy value off of their touchdown totals, I always have a little bit of trepidation when ranking them very high. He had eight touchdowns last year, only 57 receptions and 532 yards. I know he's a different type of tight end than some of the other tight ends that we've mentioned earlier in this segment, but that's not something that I'm 100% comfortable banking on. And this is the same issue that I kind of have with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that somebody on that offense is not going to return value. You have Stefan Diggs, you have Adam Thielen, you have Kyle Rudolph, you have Dalvin Cook, all currently being ranked in the top 20 at the position for the wide receivers. A lot of people have Dalvin Cook in their top 10 running backs. A lot of people have Kyle Rudolph in their top 10 tight ends. Someone isn't going to finish where they're being drafted. I personally think it's Adam Thielen. That's where I'm leaning right now. But I do think Rudolph is in that territory where we might see some regression from him going into this season. And if we saw higher receptions and higher yardage numbers, that's something that I think is a little bit safer to repeat year in and year out. Those high touchdown numbers, touchdowns can be very fluky. We've seen guys regress by five touchdowns from season to season. And we've also seen the impact that that has on their fantasy value. So that's my only issue with Rudolph. I do think that is his skill set. So I'm not too worried about his touchdowns dropping a dramatic amount. But it's not, again, not something that I'm ignoring. And that's the one issue with the tight end position. Unless you're getting one of those top three guys, there's going to be tons of concerns. Most of the tight ends, though, are touchdown dependent. Let's be honest. That's yep. just the nature of the skill of that position. They typically don't rack up like a lot of yards within a given season. The guys that have high career totals for receptions is because they played for so long. Like Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Greg Olson is well on his way right. to, to that. And that's all because they don't usually get that output. That being said, Kyle Rudolph is also somebody, not a lot of these guys do the dirty work. Kyle Rudolph is one of the guys where he does a lot of blocking, he does a lot of dirty work. 
So some plays he's in there and he's not being recognized as a receiver. I think that bodes well for you when you get into the red zone because I think your quarterback notices those plays where you're doing the dirty work and you're blocking and not being glorified. And then you get down in the red zone and there's that easy toss, you know what I'm saying? And all the more reason to get him because that guy kept you clean and kept you from getting sacked a couple times. I think that's why, you know, you can rely on that touchdown total a little bit more with him. Moving on to our number nine tight end, we have Trey Burton on the Chicago Bears. I love Burton going into the season. I think he's a great athlete. I think the Bears are going to utilize him properly. And I think they specifically targeted him in free agency. He was their first free agent signing once Matt Nagy came onto the team. And Nagy loves to target the tight end position. Looking at the Andy Reid and Doug Peterson offenses dating back to 2014, tight ends on each of those teams have had at least 125 targets in those seasons. That was around 26 to 30% target share on those teams. Now, once Matt Nagy took over play calling on the Kansas City Chiefs from weeks 13 to 16 last season, he started targeting the tight end position 36.8% of the time. That's a huge target share for the tight end position. Definitely makes sense why the Bears grabbed Trey Burton. I think he's very comparable to the type of player that Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz are, and that's really the role that he's walking into. I think there's going to be a lot of change on that offense, so I'm not worried about other pass catchers having a better rapport with quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. And there's still some uncertainty with Allen Robinson, who a lot of people are projecting to be the top pass catcher on that team. We think he's supposed to be healthy going into the season, but we don't know if he's truly 100%. So I wouldn't be surprised if Trey Burton steps into a more significant role than people are currently projecting and this may be a bit of a bold take here but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Trey Burton finishes in the top three at the position this season. Very bold. That's <laughs> super surprising. This um, is my guy. No, nah, I'm definitely nowhere near as high on Burton as you. I'm okay with us ranking him inside the top 10. Um, we have him at nine. But really, my main concern is the only argument I see for him is the fact of they paid him top tier money. Eight million a year or something like that? Yeah. That's top like that. That's top tier tight end money. You, you know what I'm saying? So no doubt about it. Like I said before, demanding targets and like allocation of funds it's a business decision sometimes they allocated a lot of funds to him don't get me wrong all the markets are being inflated with the rise in the salary cap i mean they allocated a lot of money to Allen robinson too (laughs) so yeah yeah. exactly but they ran the ball 40 times a game last year (laughs) yeah trubisky threw multiple games with less than 10 passes yeah i expect those numbers to increase obviously but i also don't think they're just gonna get away from jordan howard and what they were doing in the run game Nagy even said you got to use them on all three downs so i just don't think they're going to be throwing as much and then there's a lot of pass catchers there taylor gabriel Tariq cohen will obviously catch out of the backfield Allen Robinson as you mentioned Anthony Miller they just got a lot of guys that I just I don't see the production really being there especially because I think they're gonna have a strong run game and I think that's what they're gonna be good at and I think that's good for their team I just don't see Burton you're not the only guy you know what I'm saying right. who loves him this year and I get it they paid him eight million dollars a year top tier money you gotta assume that he's gonna be a starter but as I said with Delaney Walker you gotta be nervous about guys who have competition at the same position it's one thing to have pass catchers there but guys at the same position and they have that adam shaheen shaheen who was pretty productive for them last year he was decent and obviously they like they're trying to develop that guy and he's a true bear being that they're developing him in-house and yeah i definitely get the concerns over trey burton which is exactly why i love him going into this season he's going quite a bit later than a lot of the other guys in our top 10 
So I think he's going to provide tons of value at the position. And this is a kind of a weird sample size. So you can take it with a grain of salt if you would like or just completely ignore it. However, over Trey Burton's career, he's played five games without Zach Ertz on the field over the last three seasons. During those games, he's averaged over 12 PPR fantasy points per game. Again, it's a five-game sample size over three seasons, so not something that I would hang my hat on. What I'm trying to say is I think that when he has had the opportunity, he's shown that he can make the most of it, and he's really been a great tight end when given those chances. Always count on my co-host, Mike, for breaking out the stats <laughs> that are as relevant as the fact that he threw a touchdown pass. Like, come <laughs> on, man. Like, who cares about those five games, you know? Yeah. I, I, I completely said, I said different team, one. you know what I'm saying? Like that. No, I said take that one with a grain of salt. <laughs> but my point is we have seen him be a great pass catching option when he's had the opportunity. Whether you think that's going to translate to the Chicago Bears, that's whether you want to take that stat or not. But in I all think honesty, I was just messing around. <laughs> I've actually, I'll be honest with you, I know for a fact that I've actually used him on those weeks that he stepped in for Zach Ertz over the past few years while playing fantasy football myself. And he's been great. And I actually tend to favor him because of that. I've kind of been waiting for this position, actually, right. <laughs> believe it or not, for like a while. I've known that he's a decent player. You're just he's not ready to fully buy but in. But no... And I just don't think, like I said, I don't think the Bears is the team to go to where like you're yeah. going to get that production. I just love Jordan Howard so much. Maybe that's right. part of it. And I just think that he doesn't get enough credit. When he was a rookie, Zeke was obviously a rookie too, and Zeke took, this, yeah, took the league by storm, he and he got super overshadowed. He was second in the league in rushing. And then, of course, Kareem Hunt, as a rookie, <laughs> does it last year. And again, he's super overshadowed that he had another 1,000-plus yard season. Yep. You know, so... He's right off the bat. Let me just put it this way. He has more rushing yards in the first two seasons than any bear in the history of the NFL. That includes Walter Payton. <laughs> We're talking That's... Walter Payton. No, Jordan Reed is Jordan Reed. Jordan Howard is definitely a stud and I do think the offense is going to continue to run through him. And I know there's a lot of holes to poke into Trey Burton's game and projections going in 2018, which, like I said, is the exact reason why I love him this year. I think at the value that you can get him, he's going to be a steal in drafts. Moving on to our final ranked guy at number 10 is Jordan Reed. Now, getting in the danger zone here. <laughs> definitely the danger zone. But Jordan Reed is undoubtedly top three skill-wise at the position. He is top elite level athleticism. He can catch the ball. He can attack the ball. I think he can block it well. I really like Jordan Reed's game. Problem is, oh, you, don't the problem get this, is. you don't get to see the game much at all. <laughs> I don't think there's an, any player in the NFL that is consistently ranked in the top 10 at their position every year and pretty much never plays. I He's got to miss more games than anybody. I don't know that I don't have the numbers on that, but I'm sure he plays less games per year than any other guy at the position. Probably. It's Probably just because that upside margin. is so nice, though. But yeah, the upside when he's on point. Don't get me wrong; he could be one of the best. And that's why I will say the value is starting to come for him. Problem in the past few years is that he's he's been respected as a top tier guy and he's been drafted as a top tier guy. Right. People are getting sick of the injury concerns with him, so he's falling in drafts this year. I think he's going a little bit later, like the eighth or tenth round. He's going in, yeah, he's going in the middle of the eighth round right now, which is exactly why I love him. This is the first year that he's actually made my top ten tight end, somebody that I would actually look at in drafts. And it's actually because it's he's hitting the sweet spot in that value where he offers you such upside that in the 8th or 10th round, you can get a guy who, in a given week, he can win you your week, just like we said about Gronk. You just need him to stay healthy. Obviously, doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but you never know. 
just like Mike said about the touchdowns, that can just be a fluke. He could have one fluke healthy year. I'm saying for the majority of his career, he's going to battle injuries. He has his whole career, yep. and he will for the rest of them. I'm sure it's not going to be too much longer with that much injuries he's had. But he could have like a fluky, like healthy season where he gets 15 games. And if he can put that together next year, he can be a top three guy at the position. And you're drafting him in the back end of the draft. You're not allocating too many resources to that pick. That could be a good value steal right and if you want to avoid the risk entirely and just completely take Jordan Reed off of your draft boards going into 2018 I do understand that I really don't have an argument there I get wanting to avoid that risk and if you are going to take Jordan Reed and you're expecting him to be your starting tight end you better have a backup plan talking to you Washington Redskins but when Jordan Reed is borderline healthy because we've really never seen him be fully healthy in 2015 he played 14 games finished as the tight end two and 2016 played 12 games finished as the tight end nine now he has Alex Smith coming into town Smith has supported a tight end one in all but one of his seasons in the NFL so he's definitely a swing for the fences type pick with absolute top three potential I don't think anyone's questioning his talent but you don't know what you're going to get out of this guy you don't know how many games he's going to play you don't know if you're even going to be able to use him so that's the main knock against Jordan Reed but for the upside that he does bring to your team especially going in the eighth round of drafts I felt like I had to include him in my top 10 this season and the one note that I will say is for leagues that offer an IR spot keep in mind with these injury guys it's it doesn't just apply to Jordan Reed we're gonna apply it now to Jordan Reed and obviously we went through our quarterbacks we went through our running backs and our wide receivers and we haven't really brought this up but if you are in a league that has that IR spot feel free to take a little bit more of a gamble on these injury concerned guys because a lot of them that we label as injury concerns are typically top tier guys in their position they're just not as reliable they don't give you the consistency and you never know when they can or cannot be healthy so like I said just Keep in mind with an IR spot in your league, you might want to take that gamble and draft somebody a little bit higher that has that injury concern like a Jordan Reed. Yeah, and just a side note in general, just a general strategy for drafting, do not reach on guys with injury concerns. No matter how nice it might sound, don't sink a high equity draft pick into someone with injury concerns. Let somebody else do it. If they fall to you at a value, sure, take the pick. But if you think they're going to be missing four, potentially five games in any given season, just don't do it to yourself. It's not worth rostering the guy, no matter what the upside is. Let someone do it. Let them deal with that headache. Again, Jordan Reed, he's going in the eighth round. I think that's a fair value to grab him with his injury concerns if you want that swing for the fences pick. And I will only take Jordan Reed based off of my roster construction come the point that he falls to me in the draft. If I have a bunch of higher upside but more risky guys built in on my roster, I'm not going to be touching Jordan Reed. But if I have a lot of guys that I think are locked in for a set production and I kind of know what my roster is looking like and I want that swing for the fences pick, that's when I take a guy like Jordan Reed. So don't add unnecessary risk to your roster just because you want someone that might finish top at the position. Before we wrap up tight ends, guys, what we're going to do is Mike and I, we're going to give you one guy since we already told you we don't believe in allocating high resources to this position. We are going to give you our top guy, one guy each that we love 
love that you can draft late in the draft and we think he'll give you maybe not top five upside but he can give you somewhere between maybe top eight to top 12 upside where he's at least a tight end one at the position i'll kick it off with a guy that i'm super high on and that's kittle i really like kittle not so much the player and i've talked about this before but more of the scheme and the situation and the opportunity he's in i think that's a little bit more reliable and predictable than a player's production and kyle shanahan offenses lately have been on fire last year when jimmy garoppolo took over he not only supported Kittle as the tight end 10, but he also supported Selleck as the tight end 7 in that time frame. There was enough opportunity going around in that offense for two top 10 tight ends. That's very rare. I don't think that's ever happened at the tight end position. I don't think it ever really will happen. Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez. Okay. Anomaly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two freaks on the so, same team. This might be the second case that ever happened and I don't think that'll happen for the longevity of a full season right but more of what I'm getting at is the opportunity for the tight end position will be there and I definitely think Kittle is gonna be the number one tight end on that team this year I talked about the scheme when I talked about San Francisco we broke them down I think on our very first episode and Kyle Shanahan uses this 21 technique that applies mainly to running back and fullback but just in general the whole scheme where you're moving guys around the formation you're plotting guys in different positions and you're finding ways to get these guys open and involved. Kyle Shanahan excels at that. He's a top five offensive coordinator in the NFL. He can scheme and play call with the best of them, if not the best. So I just think there's going to be a lot of success. I'll be honest with you. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo necessarily is a top five quarterback in the NFL, but I expect them to have a high jump in success this year because he is a competent quarterback and Kyle Shanahan will do most of the work. All you have to do as a quarterback is be competent. If you're not throwing them if you're not losing the game, Kyle Shanahan will put you in a position to win games. And that's just what I feel about for the whole team. I just feel it also will benefit Kittle. Like I said, the opportunity and the production for the from the tight end position was seen last year. So it's not unrealistic to think that he could be a top tier guy and he's going late. So that could get that could be a super value pick for you. Yeah, I love that pick with Kittle. You mentioned that five game stretch where Garoppolo was starting and he supported Garrett Selleck as a top seven tight end and George Kittle as a top 10 tight end. During that stretch, Selleck and Kittle combined for 59 fantasy points whereas the next best was Rob Gronkowski with 46. So although it was between two players, that's a lot of production coming from the tight end position on the 49ers offense. Kittle's 6'4", 247 pounds coming into his sophomore season. I'm only expecting him to improve going into this year. So I love that pick as a sleeper at the tight end position. One of my favorite guys who is actually currently going undrafted in fantasy leagues is Eric Ebron moving to the Indianapolis Colts from the Detroit Lions this offseason. The Colts now have Frank Reich coming from Doug Peterson's Eagles. We've seen what they did with the tight end last season. And the Colts are going to be running one move, one in-line tight end. Of course, they still have Jack Doyle, but Jack Doyle is a much better blocker than Eric Ebron, where I think Ebron is actually a better pass catcher than Doyle. So it seems like Ebron is going to be playing that move tight end role. And last season, we saw flashes of Ebron being extremely productive. During the fantasy playoffs from weeks 14 to 16, the highest scoring tight end was not Rob Gronkowski, was not Travis Kelsey, was not Zach Ertz. It was Eric Ebron with 51 PPR points during that three-week span. He's now moving to Indianapolis, as I mentioned, where he'll be playing with quarterback Andrew Luck, who from 2014 to 2016 averaged more touchdown passes to the tight end position than all NFL quarterbacks not named Tom Brady. 
As mentioned, Eric Ebron is currently going undrafted, and I know that we've seen Doyle already be productive on the Indianapolis Colts, but as I mentioned, he is a much better blocker than Eric Ebron is, so I think that's the role he's going to start to take on in 2018, and especially if you're going to be streaming the position, looking for waiver wire options, Eric Ebron should be there, he should be available, and he should provide pretty consistent value for fantasy teams. And that's all we got for tight ends, guys. That's all we got for our rankings. That's it. That is it. So, guys, remember we ran through the past five episodes we ran through all of our rankings and we finally wrapped it up today with the tight ends well not all of them if you guys want to see all of our rankings head over to footballmdpodcast.com we're going to have our top 200 player rankings where putting players into tiers we're providing their current adp and we're soon going to be releasing a draft cheat sheet to help get you guys through your fantasy drafts come later this month and you definitely want to keep an eye on those rankings guys because obviously as the season gets closer things are going to change we went over them already but there's going to be changes there's going to be adjustments so we'll definitely be moving guys up and down you guys should be able to track that from the website We have all of our positional rankings. We have much more coming also for you college football fans, for you gambling fans, there will be odds. So don't forget to check out the website, footballmdpodcast.com. Before we wrap up, though, today we'll break down the AFC North. Before we start, we'll just say we think this division is a little bit more cut and dry than the very competitive NFC North from last week. The AFC North, we pretty much have two top-tier teams in the Steelers and the Ravens, and then two a little bit bottom-level teams, the Bengals and the Browns. Obviously, the Browns are the talk of the town this offseason with a lot of upside, but we'll get to that. We'll start with the Steelers. Yeah, I really don't have too much to say about the Steelers. Last season, or over the past few seasons, they have been one of, if not the highest-powered offense in the NFL, and I really don't think that the team was much improved this past offseason. They did add James Washington in the second round. They signed free agent Vance McDonald at tight end to more pass-catching options to add to that already prolific offense. And I don't want to ignore the impact of losing offensive coordinator Todd Haley. As mentioned on previous episodes, losing an offensive coordinator can have huge impacts on a team. But there's so much consistency returning this season. We really expect the team to just return to form and still continue to be a top offense in the league. On the defensive side of the ball, Really not much has changed. They drafted safety Terrell Edmonds in the first round, which I wasn't a huge fan of that pick, but he should improve their fairly weak secondary from 2017. They also took another safety, Marcus Allen, from Penn State in the fifth round, which I think was pretty good value for that pick and, again, should help improve that secondary a little bit. But overall, not much has changed. We know who the Steelers are, and I think they're one of the teams gunning for that Super Bowl shot this season. Yeah, pretty much year in and year out, the Steelers are in it. I mean, a couple concerns that stick out to me. The loss of Shazier last year was not only heartbreaking, but it also has on-the-field ramifications, and he was one of the best linebackers, if not quickly growing to be the best linebacker in the NFL. So that loss was not easily replaced, and honestly, they didn't do much to replace it at all. They didn't draft somebody like I thought they would have. They didn't really sign anybody significant. So there's obviously going to be an opening in the middle of the field that was left from Jay-Z or that's going to be tough to cover. I mean, at 
Same time, though, they're still going to be the Steelers. They have a prolific offense. The defense doesn't have to do much. They just have to hold their own. And the Steelers are pretty much going to outscore people. That being said, they're the riskiest good team this year, in my opinion. Just with everything that's going on, the drama on the offensive side, like I said, I'm not very overly impressed with the defensive side of the ball for the, from the Steelers. So... Although I have them as the number one ranked in the division, and I think they're a top two in the conference even, I just see some holes on the defensive side of the ball that kind of mask how good of a team they could be. The second team for me is the Ravens, and they're pretty much the exact opposite of the Steelers as far as they have a great defense, and there's a bunch of holes on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's talent there, just like there's talent on the Steelers' defense. Just overall as a unit, it's not as strong as their defense. Their defense, obviously, anchored by C.J. Mosley in the middle. Um, Marlon Humphrey, Brandon Carr, Eric Weddle. They also have one of the best front sevens in all of the NFL. I also like, as a little bit of a sleeper pick, uh, Anthony Everett. Everett was picked in the late rounds of the 2018 draft. He comes from Alabama, so you know he's been battle-tested. He's played top competition year in and year out, and he was a starter and highly productive for Alabama, so I like that pick. And then the on the offensive side of the ball, you have an upgrade at the running back position this year just by the fact that Collins will now be the starter for the entire season. He didn't have the reins on that job in the beginning of the season. Now that he has that job solidified, he'll be able to produce for them for the longevity of the season, and I think he could be a top-tier guy especially because they have a good offensive line. And the addition of Lamar Jackson is good twofold. One, I like Lamar Jackson as a player. Two, you might have just kicked Joe Flacco, a former Super Bowl winning quarterback, into drive. And he might be a little bit more motivated this year, which is never bad for the team. Whether it's Lamar Jackson or whether it's Joe Flacco, competition brings out the best of your players. And having the best player on the field is the best thing for the team. Whether it's Joe Flacco starring, whether it's Lamar Jackson starring, bringing him in was the right decision because you needed something to change as far as the quarterback position for the Ravens recently. And I'm not a Flacco hater. I think he's a good quarterback. He's obviously what you want as far as size and arm ability. He just struggles a little bit. I don't know. He's he's a good, he's a good quarterback. I don't have any real problems with him. He's just not like a top-tier guy. So to have him a little bit more motivated and focused this year definitely would not be a, a downfall. But really, the team is just anchored by that defense. They were top-level defense last year. And they're going to continue to be a top top tier defense this year. And I really am expecting that offense to take some steps forward as well. I love the addition of Michael Crabtree. I know you aren't as high on him as I am, but I think he's going to step into that role, provide a nice red zone threat for Joe Flacco. They also signed John Brown in free agency, someone that can really stretch the field. And I'm definitely growing a bigger fan of their first round pick, tight end Hayden Hurst. We saw him play in the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night. And he looked great. He was able to create some separation. He went up there and fought for balls, came down with them, made some very nice catches. And he just seems like a very solid athlete to add to that offense. And Joe Flacco, we've seen it in the past, he loves to target the tight ends. So I think that's going to be another useful weapon for him on that offense. Just to sidestep a little bit, though, do you think it's likely that we see Lamar Jackson take the reins this season? Or do you think, I think, I personally think it's best if he waits. I'm very torn on this exact topic because... I'm actually a big Lamar Jackson fan. You brought up the game on Thursday night. The problem is, Lamar Jackson, you could tell, he relies on his speed a lot. He kind of always relied on being a dominant athlete on the field, and that's just not going to cut it in the NFL. And it, he kind of looked 
taken by surprise and almost overwhelmed by that during the game. But there was also a lot of positives to build on. He was mobile. He made some good throws. He kept his eyes down the field. So there was good and bad, obviously, in a NFL premier game. you That's exactly what you would expect. But I don't know what's the best for a situation. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the argument of letting a quarterback progress and learn the game. But at the same time, sometimes I don't think it's what's best. Sometimes I think learning on the fly is good as long as it doesn't kill your confidence. Look at Deshaun Watson. He stepped in and he was great, you know, right off the bat. But they get like it was a mistake to not give him the reins since week one. It was a mistake. Right. He just had that superstar potential in him. I wrote an article last year about it, about how everybody said his game wouldn't translate well to the NFL, but he's got that drive, he's got that determination, he's got everything you want. And sometimes you don't want to inhibit that by not playing them. But then there's the other end of the spectrum where you play them and then they don't produce and they kind of lose the confidence, lose that swagger, that that ability to win games, that little X factor that you want from the quarterback position. You have to know more about the player, and I haven't done the homework on Lamar Jackson like that. I just like his physical attributes. But when you're in the Ravens position, that decision is not going to come based off of he's going to be the better quarterback. There's no possible way he's going to be the better quarterback. Like right. Sean Watson was the better quarterback last year for that team. That's not going to happen for Lamar Jackson. Joe Flacco, that's what I meant by a four by. He might not be a top tier guy, but he's not a bad quarterback. He's experienced. He's a former Super Bowl winner. He's going to be better and he's going to be good enough where he's not going to lose that job. So you're going to have to force Lamar Jackson on the field if you're not getting what you want out of the entire team. Yeah, and that Super Bowl title, that's kind of the deal breaker for me. I think the Ravens kind of feel a sense of loyalty towards Joe Flacco. They're going to give him every opportunity necessary for him to succeed in that role before he moves on. However, the Ravens do have a bye in week 10. So depending on the team situation going into that bye could really determine when. Don't get me wrong. If the season gets out of hand and it gets away from them, no doubt Lamar After Jackson that week will 10 be, bye. Lamar Jackson will be in there. I think the way that Harbaugh is, because I do know a little bit about him, I think he would make the decision if it seemed like the season was getting away from them and they were losing games. I think Harbaugh would make the decision to put Lamar Jackson in with giving him the opportunity to turn the team around and make something of the team. He wouldn't wait until it was too late. It was too late and they're out of playoff contention. You know, that's not what he's looking for. He would still be fighting for that playoff spot, so he would make that move in a desperation to say, we need improvement at this position, we need improvement for the whole team, and we're gonna at least going to have to try something new. Definitely just an interesting situation, one of the more interesting quarterback prospects coming into this year. And moving on to the team that I have coming in third place in the division, the Cincinnati Bengals. Last season, the Bengals went 7-9, and nine, despite having the second-worst offensive line in football. They ranked 31st in rushing and 27th in passing. And this offseason, they really made a commitment to revamping that offensive line. They hired former Cowboys offensive line coach Frank Polak. They traded for left tackle Cordy Glenn, and they drafted center Billy Price from Ohio State in the first round. I think that offensive line is going to be much improved, and they do have a potential star running back in Joe Mixon. I think he has the potential to truly be a game-changing player. We saw it in flashes last year when he received proper blocking. And I think all across that offense, they have some talented options. I love A.J. Green, and Andy Dalton has had success in the NFL. He's been a successful quarterback. I know last season may have felt like a down year for him, but it was a down year for the Bengals as a whole. So with 
Andy Dalton returning to his career average form with Joe Mixon coming into his second year in the NFL with A.J. Green continuing to be a star wide receiver that improved offensive line. I think the team is going to be better than a lot of people are expecting in 2018. They also improved their defense this past offseason. That unit will have a new look and feel in 2018 with Terrell Austin as their new defensive coordinator. He's coming into the position with a great defensive line headed by Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, Carl Lawson, and the team had 41 sacks, 11 interceptions, three of those they took back for touchdowns, and they held opponents to just 18.1 points per game last season. However, they did rank 30th against the run in 2017, which I am expecting to improve, but really not by much. So there's definitely still some holes on this team in general on both sides of the ball, which is why I have them clearly behind the Steelers and the Ravens but I do think that they will be better than expected in 2018. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the Cincinnati Bengals, but when looking at the team, one thing does stand out to me, and that team has always been a defensive production team. Now, you mentioned Joe Mixon as the running back, Andy Dolan as a decent quarterback for them, and of course, they have a stud in A.J. Green. John Ross in his second year hopefully can turn around that very poor rookie season. Which, by the way, just to cut in, sorry to cut you off, they did release Brandon LaFell, which I think opens the door for John Ross's production a little bit more. He should be the number two on that offense, and I think he's more than just a speed, straight-line type of wide receiver. I do think he runs great routes, and that's what he was drafted to do. I think he's kind of in a similar situation as wide receivers like Calvin Ridley coming into the league this year, except Ridley has Sanu and Julio Jones in front of him. So I think John Ross, going back to fantasy purposes here, is definitely going to be an underrated prospect going into this year. Yeah, I actually have high hopes for John Ross this year. But what really stands out to me for the Bengals is that defense. You know, you've had Geno Atkins and Vontez Burfecht for the past few years. William Jackson is an emerging cornerback in the NFL. He's very talented. He can cover man-to-man. He can cover his own. He can really do everything you ask. Then you brought up Price, the first pick in the draft, but then the next three draft picks following that for the Bengals was Bates, the safety from Wake Forest, who is a true free safety. Then they picked the uh, defensive end out of Ohio State, Hubbard, and linebacker Malik Jefferson from Texas, who was one of my favorite sleeper picks this year in the draft. I thought that was great value to get him in the fourth round. Really talented player and obviously playing for Texas. Good quality competition all throughout college. So you know what you're getting from him. I think that defense can really improve. And if that defense really improves, that's how that team will begin to return to a playoff competitive team. Don't forget, under Andy Dalton, they have made it to, I think it was three consecutive playoff seasons. They just never won a playoff game when they made it there. So he can get them there. And maybe if that defense improves that can set them over the hump and make them a real competitive team last in the division obviously is the browns now the browns are highly discussed this offseason being on hard knocks obviously a lot of new additions i think it's a hot take but it's a popular hot take so not so hot hot take that they're going to be much improved this year but they really do have a completely new look team so i can see why that is the only thing is you have to be realistic they can be vastly improved vastly improved for them could still mean four or five wins they did have zero wins last year now can i see them as an eight and eight team yes nfl network predicted them to be a nine and seven team do i see that 
That's very drastic in the first year to go from zero wins to a nine-win team, borderline playoff team. Yeah, there's a lot more that has to happen for a team than just bringing on a ton of talented personnel to warrant going from no wins to being a winning team in general or even breaking five wins. Comparatively, like the one team that maybe you would say this year is has high hopes who was 3-13 and last year, the Giants. The Giants were 3-13, and but don't forget, two years ago they were in the playoffs. You know, two years ago, the Browns had one win. They have not been very good for quite some time now. Turning that around to be a borderline playoff team sounds to me as a little unrealistic and a little hopeful. But that being said, you are looking at a pretty much new look Browns team. You had no real feasible starter at the quarterback position. Now you have two. Mayfield, bar none, has been the best college quarterback for the past two years. From pro football focus, if you look at his stats, he led in every accuracy category, clean, not clean, in the pocket, out the pocket, play action, no play action, adjusted completion percentage, passer rating, you name it. He was either first or second ranked for the past two years. So he's the guy as far as the quarterback position is concerned. And then you bring in Tyrod Taylor, who is not a crazy addition, but at the same time, he offers you a safe floor he offers you the run ability. He offers you little to no turnovers. And you can win with that kind of guy with the other playmakers that they have around. And they have an abundance of them. Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry, Njoku, Carlos Hyde, Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson. The list goes on and on. Then you go look at their defense. Their defense as well. Carl Nassib and Miles Garrett from last year have been super productive. You have other major contributors in Jamie Collins, Schobert, and Agba, they're all in the front seven. So when I look at the team, they had to improve their defensive backs, and they did that. They did it with two major moves, obviously drafting number four overall, Denzel Ward. He's a combination of 4-3 speed, but in and out of cuts very quickly. So he's unique in that sense, and he's a true man cover corner. He has ridiculous stats at Ohio State last year. I think he led up. 20 catches all season, no touchdowns. He led up, I think, 30 receptions his entire career at Ohio State. He's been super productive, and you add him to the mix with EJ Gaines as the other cornerback. And then from the safety position, you add Demarius Randall, which gives you better at two positions. Last year, Julius Peppers was playing the single high safety position, something he's never done before, something that he's not really good at. So now you get Demarius Randall in the trade for Deshaun Kaiser from Green Bay, and Demaris Randall played single high safety in college. So now he goes to that position, and Peppers gets to go play in the box strong safety where he flourished in college, where he played that linebacker safety hybrid. So just by signing Randall, you get better at two positions. Ward and Gaines offer you more stability on the outside, and then you have Bobby Calhoun, who was with them last year, super productive from the slot. So a much improved defense, obviously more playmakers on offense. Everything's trending in the right direction. I'm just not ready to say playoff caliber as of yet. Yeah, you did a great job just now breaking down literally the entire Browns team and their outlooks for 2018. And I think they're one of the most intriguing teams going into this season. I'm personally, I'm not a Browns fan, but I'm kind of rooting for them. You know, they're 0-16. A lot of people are, you know, after how much they've been losing in the past few years, I think a lot of people would be happy to see them succeed. It's just... It would be like a feel-good sports story, you know? Yeah, they were 0-16 last season. They 
haven't been good in a number of years now. And now they bring in a bunch of high-profile free agents. They have an awesome draft, in my opinion. I just don't think this is the year that they bring it all together, although the team is clearly trending in the right direction. And I love what this is going to do for the division, in my opinion. I think it's going to force every team to kind of start stepping their game up. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year. But within the next few years, the Browns have a lot of guys locked in for the long term. And they're going to be an interesting team in the AFC North. Well, let's put it this way, right? Joe Thomas recently left, right? So in the 10-year career of Joe Thomas, I think they had 20-some quarter different quarterbacks. Now, in the division, you talk about, look at the shakeup. Within next year, you'll have Austin Corbett at the left tackle spot. You'll have Nick Chubb as the halfback. And the team will be emerging together as a whole unit. Baker Mayfield will probably be the consistent quarterback at that point. And you'll have the Steelers will probably lose Le'Veon Bell to free agency next year. You don't really know whether the Ravens and the Bengals can be dominant teams in that division. So literally next year seems to be the year where the division might be opening open for the taking. And that obviously means there's a realistic chance for the Browns next year. But I just don't see it this year, like you said, just... A quick turnaround like that will be way too fast, realistically, in my opinion. So that's all we have for you guys this week. Thank you guys again for listening. As mentioned earlier, make sure you're following us on our social media pages. This is the official end to our rankings episodes. So if you would like to see more rankings from the Football MD Podcast, head over to footballmdpodcast.com. We're going to have our full player rankings beyond what we covered in the podcast. We're releasing tons of articles and much more on the website, so definitely head over there. And stay tuned as we're going to continue to bring you guys more content, preparing you for your drafts, talking you through the preseason games, and continuing through the entire 2018 NFL season, bringing you guys the best insights on the planet. Thank you guys, and have a great week. Thanks, guys. Until next time.